Greetings, Wargamers. We're your hosts, Trevor, Jay, Josh, and this is Shane Attack. Attack. is sponsored by Discount Games Incorporated. Discount Games Incorporated specializes in customer service, low prices, and prompt shipping. You can find our web store at www.discountgamesinc.com. Chain Attack. I'm your host, Trevor, and I wish I was playing F1 Manager 23. I have yet to boot it up because my co-hosts have kept me busy all day. <laughs> so it's our fault. Oh, well, uh, point of order. I was ready to record way before this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my name's Jay, and um, and I play Star Wars Shatterpoint, as does like this burgeoning community in my well, that's cool game store it's it's crazy you, my what is my, your current uh, squad jay oh i i mean i'm i'm playing a bunch of different stuff for the podcast you're not playing the darth vader kenobi diorama <laughs> um i am i i played last last time i played was darth vader and grievous oh um jeez that feels First I think of all, the, not exactly canon, but also <laughs> sure. I, I I think that Darth Vader and the Obi Wan Kenobi that comes in the core box and not the oh no not he's 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 one of the first expansion boxes, not in the diorama Obi Wan Kenobi. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, those more interesting. Those two are a super strong pairing as well currently. Interesting. You can so, play them together. You can. Huh. Like they're basically like Kenobi and Anakin type. They basically Sorry. just have Spoiler to be. Spoiler alert about Anakin. <laughs> they basically <laughs> just have to be from the same era. There's there's not like. Uh, there's not teams like in. Oh yeah yeah. That. Oh so someday I'm going to be able to play Luke and Vader. That's no. not true. They're That's Vader. impossible. Oh yeah 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 you could you could play well if they're from the same era which I'm assuming they will have some errors that are the same yeah. Oh. You I, could play Yoda and Vader. I am on board. So how many people have you had showing up then? Um, on Tuesday nights, we've been probably around, you know, six to eight, eight ish, probably. I think that's, that's good. Yeah. I think, and, and that's with the rotating people, we're, we're going to do a, um, initiation league in starting August 1st. And we're gonna have enough room for 16 people, and my expectation is that we'll get probably well, it'll probably we'll probably fill up the event. That's awesome. So, what is an initiation league? It's it's basically it's where you learn you, it's where you learn that uh, Vader's Luke's father. It's it's where you <laughs> get to play games with friends, and you pay a little money, and you get some foil cards in exchange. I want to know how many of the people that are showing up in the burgeoning community here are like old, you know, old friends from earlier War Machine days and that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some, but a lot of it is. So, you know, I've tried. It's like new blood, excited I've, people. I've tried for years to get my manager, Nate, interested in a miniatures game, and he's always held off. 
Because magic, magic is yeah, his magic baby, is his right? game of choice, and now he's like <laughs> obsessed with with this game and with um, and so is my assistant manager, and so you know they all their magic friends are getting in, or all the people you know whenever someone comes into the That's impressive, it's, it's, it's it's the same way it is with any game store, you know whatever people are, whatever the game the staff of the game store are excited about yeah. is what has. That's what gets legs. I guess I've That's never what, really thought about that, but that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it's yes, that is what happens. So, uh, yeah, that that's that's another thing going on. Well, I'm Josh, and uh, in case we don't talk about it today, but I think we will. I am all about Victorian England-based board games. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue what I'm doing in that game, and we will talk about it. <laughs> it's all about the American heiress, Trevor. That's 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 my secret every time. I don't even know what you're playing. Well, maybe. See, it's like the one game in like 20 that Trevor and I play that I actually have more of a clue than him. What a weird, <laughs> what a weird feeling. Um, news and announcements with Discount Games Inc. Uh, one one thing that's exciting to me and to Nate and Tristan is that all of the um, Shatterpoint new releases that were scheduled for August, that were removed from the August release schedule, have been added back on. And uh, so now we have that to look forward to. Mace Windu. And when, when have they been added? Back to the August release yeah. schedule or back later? Back to August. Oh, yeah. wow. They were, I think, honestly, I think they were, the main reason they were removed was um, because of Asmodee being concerned about the potential UPS strike. Oh. oh. Did, did that get resolved or something? Yeah, well, so they came to, the negotiators came to an agreement, and now the union is voting on it from August 2nd to August 22nd, but it was going to shut down on August 1st if they didn't come to an agreement. Oh, and so, I see. So at this point, they're in, they're hoping that it will that an agreement will be met, and they're not going to strike August first. Yeah, yeah. Foolish of them to yeah. believe. To hope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, you speaking of docks and boats, I just have to update. Oh, I, okay. My my car is now on a boat. Oh. Somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. So what's your what's your over under? Hasn't passed the Bermuda um, Triangle yet. That's my no. It, it's much closer uh, to Germany than it is to the United States. What's your what's your over under on when you're going to receive it? Uh, November first is the date that you would be over under, and I'm going to say um, under, meaning it's going to take longer. Oh, longer would be over, wouldn't it? Uh, sure, whatever. It's, okay. It, the the estimated date is is November first, and you think November it's going to take longer? First. I think it is going to. Okay. The, the Originally, the the date that uh, was in the order in their site was basically, well, it's moved lots and lots of times. But the most recent one was like middle of October, but it's moved back a couple of times. And I, I just, I have no faith in <laughs> the whole process, honestly. Um, That's so probably wise. I mean, part of the problem is, is that because of where we live, the car has to go through the Panama Canal. Right. I thought you were going to say like the mules will have to bring it over the mountain. Essentially, but through the Panama Canal, and then they have to drop it off on the West Coast. And we live in the Rocky Mountains, so it's going to have from there. It'll have to be put on a truck or train, and 
brought to the Rocky Mountains. So it's it's like this multi-step process <laughs> that is just never going to come to fruition. I don't resolve. Think. Yeah, not before November. All right. So this last weekend was uh, dominated by the Barbenheimer phenomenon. <laughs> uh, I have. I know. I'm John, so out of the zeitgeist. I've seen n- neither of them. You've seen neither. Okay. I knew you obviously hadn't seen Oppenheimer. Um, I, I know Trevor. You've seen Oppenheimer. Did you see Barbie yet? Not yet. Um, I think we'll probably see it this coming weekend. I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I've been a little more careful with my money lately, so I don't know if we'll we'll see it or not. The problem is there's like multiple movies we want to see right now and another one that's coming out um, next weekend. I did. I did. We did have the. So Brian has a firm no theater policy post pandemic. Uh huh. And but. We have a friend who worked on the casting of Barbie, and so oh, really, okay. He he was wanting to. I mean, besides being interested in the movie, he wanted to see it because our friend worked with it. Yeah, and so it turned out that it was playing in the um, drive-in. Okay, and so we went to the drive-in together. Oh my and gosh! I thought, is this the drive-in south of town or north of town? North, it's north, yeah. The one south of town closed, right? Yes. The one north, I was so we went to the one. The one north kind of reopened north years ago, and I think they have reopened. And when we went to it um, years ago, I felt like the light pollution made the picture quality pretty bad in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when we went this time, I didn't feel like it had that issue at all. Um, that area of town has changed a little bit, so yeah, that maybe doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. It, I mean, part of it, I I I assume that they have upgraded their projector. Um, That's probably true as well. And so the the but the biggest issue we had was that you know we were we went there in our truck and we you know you you turn on your car radio to the radio station and it plays the um, the audio. But the issue we had was that, you know, we were inside the truck. If we opened up the windows, then it would kind of be like the sound was happening in the round with all the other radios that were going on and kind of mm-hmm. echoed. Mm-hmm. And so we closed the radio, the windows, and then we ended up melting because we got super hot from Jeez. <laughs> from from the the heat radiating radiating off of the rocks, and then us just also being bodies that are giving off heat and we didn't want to like start the truck and have the AC going and be rude to the other people around us, but we probably should have just done that. And so anyways, the, the whole point of this, you, you mentioned wanting to be frugal. Uh, it was eight fifty a person and it was a double header Barbie and mission. Oh, so you got to see both of them. Well, uh, we, it, ended up, we ended up going home uh, because we were so hot. But we did want to see, and it wasn't the full Barbenheimer doubleheader. It was Barbie and Mission Impossible. Oh, which, okay, okay. Which we had not seen. But I wouldn't have wanted to see Oppenheimer in the drive-in right. anyway, because I feel like the full theater experience adds a whole lot to that movie. Sure. So, so anyways, I have seen both movies. Um, I do give a, a high recommend to Barbie. I, I think it's 
great and and worth seeing. I'm also, I guess, biased. So <laughs> since my friend worked on it. Oh yeah, yeah. But that's that's my it's, two cents. It's a good reason to have a bias. Uh, but we we did want to Trevor and I talk a little bit about Oppenheimer. Uh, Trevor, when you uh, finished that movie, you sent us a message in our group text where you were like, "If if this movie doesn't win Best Picture, it's a travesty," which I thought was kind of funny since you kind of hate the Oscars. But I do, but in this particular, so I'm a game huge... recognizes game, right? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Oh well, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Like, yeah, I, the amount of the amount of bias really that's going into Batman. this conversation is is off the charts. So, I'm like, he's already been a little bit snubbed in my opinion. <laughs> so, um, but this is the one thing that sort of bothered me was I was reading some. Um, I was I saw a infographic maybe, and it might have been updated at this point. But at the time the infographic was created. Um, they had the, I believe it was Rotten Tomatoes rating of Dunkirk was higher than Oppenheimer. And I love Dunkirk, don't get me wrong, but I think that this is a superior movie in every imaginable way. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, so I was, I was trying to think about that question and I will say with Dunkirk, it's a movie I watched in the theater and I, I would probably rate Dunkirk as the most impressive theater experience that i've ever had okay okay partially because like the experience of have it felt like i was having bullets whizzing by me mm-hmm. yeah with I, the audio i will admit that that oppenheimer was less visually or uh how do i put it it was less of a theater experience than i expected and that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing but it's to say that i think that it would be as much it was be as impressive watching it on a smaller screen. And I, I'm no, I, I apologize to Christopher Nolan right now. Cause I know he's listening to this podcast <laughs> and, and he absolutely would hate that. I just said that cause he loves the theater experience. Um, but I don't think that there's as much to this movie that requires the big screen as Dunkirk. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I own Dunkirk. I'm not certain that I've rewatched. I'm not certain I've watched the online purchase of Dunkirk that I own. <laughs> I might have bought it and not watched it yet and only watched it in the theater. Um, so it's obviously not what I consider one of the most rewatchable of uh, Christopher Nolan's movies. Um, but I did like it a lot. Um, so you, you, you feel Trevor that it is a superior movie to Dunkirk. I do. I think that this is a fantastic movie. I think it's Christopher's best. I don't necessarily think it's his most entertaining. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. But as far as um, a storytelling experience, it is it is really well done. And the part that that makes it Oscar worthy, in my opinion, is the performances that he got from the core actors. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I just, man, I, I think there's very, the only complaint that I've even seen online uh, relates to a historical inaccuracy that is a little bit nitpicky. Um, okay. Oh, that's not the only complaint well, I, I've seen. I gotta know, <laughs> like, tell me the nitpicky historical inaccuracy. There's a scene after the bomb drops on Japan and the war is over where he speaks to all of the staff at Los Alamos 
And as he's walking out, they're waving American flags, and the American flags are not historically accurate. They show a modern-day American oh, flag. Oh, shoot, anachronistic. Yeah, and and at the time, you know, 1949 or whatever, when the— Yeah, no Hawaii and Alaska. Thing, yeah, there was no Hawaii and no Alaska. The flag looked different. Okay. So and the vast majority, I think, of Americans and definitely non-Americans would probably not notice it. So, all right, before you guys dig in, I don't, know if, I don't know if you're going to fully grade this thing, but let me ask the question that I always ask about this type of movie. Because my wife was like literally looking at, you know, advertisements for it and being like, why can't I go see this one? Like, you know, trying to because this thing is like right up her alley history and, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will say director or like I, I will say that. So I I like rated R movies. Um, yeah, yeah. But and it's it's very rare for me to make this statement. But my personal opinion is that I think this movie would have been better as a PG thirteen movie. Oh, interesting. Like you're saying that the R content. What I'm hearing I you say not, is it does not add to, uh, enough to the experience no, to doesn't. be worth it. I, I I did not feel like it did. I, so I, I don't I know if we ever talked about this before, but like I think I only have two R movies to my name, and I don't know if my wife has m- much more than that. And like one of them we watched together as you know teenagers basically, and it was because it was a historical movie, you know, very well done, and that was Schindler's List. I mean, that's that's when I feel like anyone should have a pass on being able to watch. Yeah, yeah. I, um, well, yeah, no, this 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 massively violates your booby rule. Oh, interesting. OK, yeah. well, so I should. This, this, so my my wife had a pretty major complaint about this movie. She felt like the, the gratuitous sex scenes were not necessary. And I, I agreed with her. They probably okay. weren't necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, part of the reason why. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, I'm not in Christopher Nolan's mind, but um, I, historically, Oppenheimer was a womanizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that is a part of his life story, I guess. Um, but you could tell it without without it being particularly gratuitous. Is, is that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's also one particular scene that I don't understand why it's even in the movie. but Okay. Uh, but uh, but I guess I may be not enough of a, a movie nerd or I I don't know. Uh, uh, and you I mean, I'll... you ex- accusing yourself of not being much of a movie nerd is ah! I'm not. I, I mean I said enough of one. Can, can you, <laughs> okay, can I was you give, like, can you give a little bit more detail because I'm not I I guess I'm not sure what movie you're or what scene what you're scene? alluding to. Oh, um, I mean, there is a scene where he is on trial and he. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's a hallucination or a imagination, but there's a, a sex act that occurs oh, while yes. the uh, while the trial is going on. Yeah, and, that that, that particular that's that is the scene that I feel like is the most gratuitous. Like that, and feels like it doesn't need to be there. And the, the the point is, the, the, so my amateur movie buff feeling of it was the intent was to make you feel as uncomfortable. As, right. Oppen- as Oppenheimer's wife did. Mm. In, so he makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, so he's wow. He's, okay. He's, he's testifying before the um, Atomic Energy Commission uh-huh. um, to uh, to defend his loss of his Q clearance. He they 
pin him on this discussion about how he had an affair with a uh, a communist mm-hmm. um and and he's having to testify about this affair he had with this communist while his wife is sitting basically three feet away from him and is he like having to testify in explicit detail then basically like no no but they're asking him they 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 pin him down they say you spent the night with a you know with this this communist um you know did you spend the night with her did you have sex with her basically and he's had Mm -hmm. and he says yes and the, the point of the scene is to make the wife feel uncomfortable that it's being discussed in committee, essentially, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. in front of her. And it makes everyone feel uncomfortable because there is a you get a visualization of of him and the woman doing it in front of this committee okay. with his wife watching. Oh, interesting. I see. OK. Yeah. yeah and it, it is uh, I mean, it, it whatever it is, it may everyone feel uncomfortable because it, it is uncom- an uncomfortable scene and it's supposed to D- was it necessary i mean i think you could have conveyed her uncomfort without doing it and i know that it that's the scene that my wife in particular really despised mm-hmm. huh. Interesting. so all okay. that all that said mm-hmm. <laughs> i i do I, I'm, I'm not sure i i i, I don't know I'm not sure I agree with Trevor that it's his his best work, um, but it, I did love the movie, and I, I actually do uh, wish that there was an IMAX nearby or that I, in my yes. travels, have an opportunity to go to an IMAX because I want to watch this movie in an IMAX theater. It's worthy of that type of experience. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Uh, well, another. Frankly, you're wrong. This is his best. Okay, well, <laughs> there you have it. Well, well, actually, I'm curious though, Jay. Like, what what is in contention? If not Oppenheimer, um, what, what else? I don't. I mean, Dunkirk it's, definitely. This okay. is it, it's hard to it's hard for me to say that because so much of it is. Um, if I if I I like two two Christopher Nolan movies that I like better are Interstellar and Inception. Do I think that they're better movies? Um, well, they're probably more your genre. Than... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I would rather watch um, Inception than Oppenheimer. I just think right. Oppenheimer is a more perfect right. movie, and it's definitely more up the alley of the Academy. Oh like, yeah, yeah, like, mm, yeah, like yeah. this is this is their bread and butter. So that's yeah, like, part of why you're. That's part of what that comment you made stems from, Trevor. Yes, I. This is deserves an Oscar. It's more up the Academy's alley. That's interesting. This deserves an Oscar, and it's right up their alley. If they if they ignore it, if they ignore Christopher Nolan's, then it's clearly opus, like full on Magnum opus. Yeah. Listen, when Dune Two follows in the footsteps of Return of the King, it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see. I I I wouldn't be heartbroken if Oppenheimer lost to Dune Two. Okay. I'll, I'll throw that out there. Okay. That's true. That's that's fine. One another thing I was going to say about the movie, um, that one of the things I was struck by with the movie was you, you might not be aware of this, Josh, and I, I I don't think I really knew it going into the movie. I knew that Robert Downey Jr. was in this movie, but I would probably classify him as the second most important character in the movie. Wow. Okay. And it. Watching the movie made me 
nostalgic for him as an actor or miss seeing him on the screen. Uh-huh. I've, I've watched a lot of hours of him in the MCU and he's, he's just an enjoyable actor good. to watch. He's a master of his craft at this point. Yeah. Well, and also, and there's lots of, there's lots of actors out there that are good at what they do, but mm-hmm. there's just like, he's his mannerisms or the way he talks or et cetera. It was enjoyable uh hearing all that again that's cool okay so so speed round me or is it just all tens like design it's definitely um, on design the writing the cinematography the um sets just everything that he went all out and it shows the other another thing that i'll give a a bonus to on design is that i felt so you obviously don't know this uh Josh, since you haven't watched it, but Dunkirk, I feel like he gets a little bit too cute with, he, he has a bunch of different timelines that he splices together. Mm-hmm. I and forget. Kind is, of, is Dunkirk R? I don't think so. I think it's PG-13. Yeah, I think I, I should probably get, I should get it watched then. Uh, anyway, so. Let me see here. I'm looking at it right now. It's PG-13. Okay. You're saying yeah, with you Dunkirk, he gets a little too cute. In in my opinion, he, he does a Christopher Nolan thing. He he gets really cute with timelines in a way that oh, sometimes yeah. sometimes can be detracting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think like I watched the movie and once it was finished, I was like, oh, it would be interesting to watch this movie as a supercut where everything is actually in in order, sequential timeline order. <laughs> yeah. So so Josh, th- there's three timelines going on. One of them is long, like it's a week long. One of them is a couple days long, and one of them is a couple hours long. And okay. you'll see you the the scenes are interspersed. So you'll see the first day of the week long. You'll see the first hour of the day long, and you'll see the first few minutes of the of yeah. the few hours long. And so in if if the super if the supercut Jay's talking about you're only going to see the one set of scenes for most of the film until it switches to the next one yeah. and, and so the first time watching it you, you get a little lost honestly of how they actually tie together it wasn't until the second or third watching that I started figuring out oh that thing is happening at the same time this other thing that happened you know 20 minutes ago and the, they're happening at the same time and and this is I mean if you've ever seen um, any of his other movies that do this sort of thing like um, Inception Inception or um, uh, I, sorry I just went blank um, Interstellar no 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 uh, Memento Memento yeah sorry if you've oh, seen Memento I haven't seen Memento okay yeah uh, Memento's are you you probably won't watch it but um, yeah. or the Prestige they they all sort of do oh, this oh man they play, I love the Prestige so much. Interstellar does it too. He loves. Gosh, he loves he's to do, a freaking good director. <laughs> yeah, Tenet as well. I mean, he loves yeah. to play with this time thing. This Tenet. Yeah, it's like my so, daughter's um, favorite freaking movie. I I love all those movies and I love the time thing, but it it it's one of those things where you're like, oh crap, I've got to watch this a second or third time to actually mm-hmm. figure out what's going on. Okay. And Memento, Memento is one of the worst. Like memento the guy the main character has a memory problem the movie goes in reverse you see the final scene first and each That's time you're given more information as the movie goes crap. back and mm-hmm. it, it's it's actually really well done but you get to the end of it and you're like what the heck did i just watch i'm gonna have to watch it again to actually figure it out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so all that is to say i feel like oppenheimer has a very light salting of this and it is uh probably christopher nolan his most restrained 
<laughs> yeah, and it's still kind of bad in some places. Yeah, it still hops around a lot. It, but it works. I think it works a lot better uh, because of that. Yeah. So, I feel like you gave me design and time management, but not in the way we normally talk about time management all in one right but, there. But I don't, I don't a, know where three-hour movie exactly, which is weird. Uh, I don't think almost think he did that on purpose. But I'm it assuming is exactly did, yeah. three hours. That's fun. Um, and um, I think for the average moviegoer, it's probably too slow. Oh, they, okay. They would probably hate it. Um, it is exactly the right I, pace for me. I had a friend online who said that he felt like the movie either needed to be an hour shorter or two hours longer. Ugh. Which I thought was an interesting opinion. Um, I didn't necessarily share it. I'm, I'm, I thought it was. I enjoyed Madness. the pacing and the yeah. length of it. Um, so. <laughs> Oh, give me the, a speed speed round of fun. Like, oh, I guess this is a good. This is not this is not its ten category. It's not <laughs> no, but I will say that. I mean, I guess, it's fun in the way is, that you, like you experience probably history in a way that you wouldn't any other way, right? This I, is maybe. this is probably a good place to talk about this, but there's sometimes where you have an experience with a movie that is never going to be replicated. Mm with any other movie and it's uh, an experience that's kind of ingrained in your mind and something that that you'll probably remember for the rest of your life Jeez, okay and this movie has one of those experiences in my opinion and you do you feel like that's a fair statement trevor you know i i wonder how impactful it is for the younger generation who never experienced um, you know, nuclear drills where we, you know, crawl under our desks at school. You know, those of us who grew up in the shadow of the Cold War, I, I don't know if it has the same impact for yeah. them as it does for us. Um, you know, and we're even too young for it to really have the impact. I wonder how right. someone like my father, who lived through the um, Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, although he was quite young, but you get the point. The, the generation who lived through the aftermath of the nuclear era um you know I, I wonder how they feel about it but for us it certainly is very impactful and there were times where i just like the closing scene um just it was so hard-hitting to me emotionally as to what sort of pandora's box had been opened up by the uh, invention of the atomic bomb uh gosh it was just yeah it really hit me it was very impactful. That's interesting. I, I was thinking of a different scene. I, okay. Uh, the, the scene between him and, and Albert Einstein at the end where they discuss right. that, that smacked me hard. Sure. The, I mean, the, the scene I was thinking of was uh, the, the test of Trinity of the, the first nuclear test, essentially. Yeah. Um, In terms of when you were talking about having an experience on like, yeah, a movie experience. An unreplicatable experience, yeah. Yeah. A, a unique movie experience that you know you're you're never going to you'll you'll remember and not have replicated by some other movie. Well, I think that's a pretty good speed rounding then. <laughs> okay. Who who does play Einstein out of curiosity? Like I know I could look that up. I don't know his name off the top of my head. Yeah, oh, so it's that. not like a known Mm, I mean, he's. I've seen him before. I just don't yeah. remember. I mean, yeah, I can look him up pretty quick. 
Tom Conti is his name, and I'm try- I'm trying to think where else he's been in that I would have seen. Well, my takeaway is I should get Dunkirk on uh, my watch list with my wife because she does love history. Yeah, I, I mean I don't know how much she cares about um, war, war historical, but yeah, it's definitely a compelling story. Yeah. All right, let's talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> Uh, should, should we, we talk, talk about, about Victorian England or should we talk about, well, no, no we, you, we, we need to talk about the game that Disarray gifted you. Yeah, 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 that's right. All right. Dave, the diver. So I've played 25 hours of Dave, the diver at this point. Um, the game is a, it calls itself an RPG, but I think that that is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, you play Dave, a somewhat portly diver who dives and um, collects fish and brings them back to a a sushi place that he is becomes a co-owner of. So there's essentially three mini games. The first game is diving and catching fish. The second mini game is running the sushi joint where you take the fish, you choose your menu, and then you have people come in um, and order fish and drinks, and you have to fulfill those um, drinks and orders the third one is sort of a management sim of managing you have a eventually you get a fish farm and you get a like a normal farm where you grow rice and other crops what um yeah i mean for the for the restaurant any any high quality restaurant has to have you know they have to grow some of their own farm to table sure and those restaurateurs are doing all of that themselves right well, Dave does. Um, <laughs> yes, he has help. Don't get me wrong. There's there's help. Okay. Right. Um, but um, and amongst this, there's a story going on in the background. Um, there's a lot of cheeky humor. I mean, it's funny. I've I've it's been a while since I played a game where I laughed as much as I've watched as I've laughed. That's um, like Dave Diver. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So anyway, yeah. During the day, you have two sessions where you can go diving and collect fish. Um, during the night, you uh, that's when you open your, your restaurant and you serve your sushi. You have to create your menu. Um, you have to manage your employees um, because if you don't have employees, you have to serve all the sushi yourself, and it's pretty awful. Um, and you have to you have a, a guy that cooks the sushi for you. If you don't have multiple cooks, it starts getting difficult to get enough sushi out. Um, and then you spend the money to upgrade your equipment. And there's a little bit of a roguelite aspect. When you dive, you can find boxes that you open up that provide you things like salt, soy sauce, um, turmeric, uh etc cetera, etc cetera. there's a bunch of different ingredients you can find and then there's other boxes that you open up that provide you with new um gear new weapons um either melee weapons to fight off sharks and other things or um har- harpoon guns and normal guns to shoot fish um the 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 goal is to to um catch fish the freshest you can so one of the better guns is a as a net gun um that allows you to catch fish live um and one of the better guns weapons is actually a um a gun that um, causes fish to go to sleep it's like a hibernation gun or something and because then that keeps them super fresh you're saying um with that you can you can actually get a um an item that comes like flies in and grabs them so you can catch you can put the like a tuna to sleep or a shark to sleep then the 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 um unmanned sea vehicle comes in grabs them and flies them away to your fish farm where you can then um your when you get fish that are fresh you can put them in your fish farm and if you have two or more 
fish, you can get you'll get more fish. And so eventually you get to the point where like the, the more basic fish and the longer you play, you don't you start, you know, not needing to spend as much time worrying about catching fish because your fish farm provides you with enough fish. Um, there is a little bit of an RPG aspect. There's there's this plot line going on in the background where you're finding um, I don't know how deep I want to get into it. It's kind of spoilery, but there's like a an Atlantis esque. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Um, you also fight um, bosses and other things that go on, and um, some of them are you know like Aquaman. Ex- um, no. Like one of them is like a big eel. One of them is a big shark. One of them is a they're 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 fishy oriented bosses. Okay, okay, at sure. least the ones I've ran into. The Meg. Yes, there's a Meg that I had to fight for my wife because she couldn't beat it, and I had to. <laughs> it took me like eight times to beat it. <laughs> but in, anyway, yeah. So it's got a little bit of everything. It the, honestly, the best part about it is that it's funny. It it's really quite humorous, and the gameplay is fun and challenging um for the most part um yeah I, I don't know what else to say about it it's it's a little difficult to describe because it's a little different than anything it, the closest thing i could say is it, it sort of follows along the games that my wife has been playing already so it's not too far off from um the graveyard keeper and the uh-huh. um and uh like stardew valley um you know but instead of farming like you do in stardew valley or keeping graves like you do in gravekeeper um, it is about running a sushi restaurant, but some of the, I would say some of the mechanics in a way are similar. But your goal is to earn money, buy better stuff for your restaurant, um, get better ingredients, uh, improve your employees, uh, buy better gear to go diving with. It's really sort of revolves around selling sushi and earning that money, and then using that money to improve. It's it's really been a blast, and and I will say it again because it's that funny. <laughs> the humor okay. in it. Is, All right. awesome. I'm, ex- I'm excited. I, I did purchase it. It is installed. <laughs> I will report back in a week if my. Uh, is it? Does you know, it does I will it play, play on, on the, the on the Steam Deck. So. It is Steam Deck compatible. I have not played it on the Steam Deck. I play with mouse and keyboard, but I think it would translate well to a controller. I wouldn't be shocked if it's on other media like you might be able to get it on other things but it's i don't think it's that old i don't think it's been out that long so it may no, not be available I, yeah right yeah I, I don't know when it came out oh i mean i have the store page pulled up here let's see here it says it june released 28th. june 28th so it's just it's literally a month old happy month birthday dave the diver <laughs> yes so n- now we can talk about victorian england games board games specifically <laughs> Uh, I don't know if we're talking about a board game or if we're talking about board game arena again, because I mean, it is a physical board game. You can play it as a board game. You don't have to play it on board game arena. So I think it counts. It is literally my current obsession. Like, and the name of the game is called obsession. Obsession. Like I'm obsessed. Uh, this is basically, um, I think I tried to pitch this to Trevor at one point in time, and I don't know. If, I don't think you're quite as obsessed with it as I am. I'm pretty obsessed with it, but your pitch was awful. Let me just put it that way. I said it was down ah. to be the board game, right? Yes, you did call it down to Abbey the board game, which to me immediately turned me off. <laughs> okay, so go back in time now and and readjust the pitch. How would I pitch it to somebody else? How would you pitch it to yourself? I mean, I look at I look at Board Game Geek. 
and the description of it is basically Josh gave the perfect description. So I'm curious what <laughs> uh, Trevor's I, thoughts the, are on this. I can't. I the truth is is I don't have a description because that description is probably pretty apropos. The problem is is I would never play it under that description, but it's fantastic. It is a okay. I mean, that's the theme as much as anything, right? But like, yeah, what what is it, Trevor? Is it a tableau builder? Is it a deck builder? I mean, so so yeah. The reason it's Downton Abbey is that you are this family in Victorian England. You're one of four, well, five with the expansion potential families in Victorian England whose estate has fallen upon bad times, and it falls to you, the current you know family members, to try to like build back up your reputation and the the grounds and you know have the have good servants and and attract you know great guests and i, I mean anyway and so that that's kind of the theme but like when well, the reason i said it's a tableau builder is it feels like as you improve your estate that's like the tableau like you, you add um rooms to your estate or not always rooms like you know you you add a cricket field for example or a tennis court you know or you right uh, and each of those provides an action that you can take on your turn well, yeah or a power or you know and so you have that element of it and then i mean and one of those powers may be like attracting more guests to your estate and the guests you end up and they end the up interfacing those rooms to create and that's why I say, like, is it a deck builder? Is it a tableau builder, right? But those guests end up interacting with the rooms in your estate to get money, improve family reputation, attract more guests, um, sometimes draw uh, additional objective cards, right, uh, or little bonus cards, one-time bonus cards. Um, and um, and then throughout the course of the game, there's like four – well. I only play the extended it's, version now, so it's it's important to note that there are certain built the buildings and cards the, the 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 characters I guess the people both have a reputation rating and if your reputation is not high enough you cannot use the rooms and you cannot play the cards and so there's this combination of getting the right group of people at the right time and then growing past them and. Like I so wish I could host a cricket match right now, but I literally don't have five gentlemen available on my estate. Yeah. Also, my reputation's not high enough for a cricket match, so why are we even talking about this? Jeez. I don't know. You you are a horrible British family. The the <laughs> the most humorous part of the game is the fact that basically all the American gentry in the game give you negative reputation. Horrible reputation. Yeah, they're they are horrible people. You don't want them part of your your inner circle of friends. But they give you so much money. <laughs> it does have delightful flavor text. Uh, I have one pulled up. Let me see if I can read it too. Uh, <clears throat> The nephew and dashing heir of the Fairchild Fortune is the most desirable bachelor in Derbyshire, so it has this pride and prejudice element to it. Also, you know. Yeah, one of one of the one of the um, characters I have in my hand, Miss uh, Bingley. Uh, Miss Bingley is beloved by all for her graceful manners and pure disposition, and all of them have um, some sort of text like that on them, but. Yeah, it is about kind of trying to build all of these pieces together in a engine that builds up over time and that accelerates you to the end. Um, we're on our I don't, fourth or fifth game. I'm not sure where we're at. You and me and my brother. Well, 
Yeah, We're, this is probably, your brother added. Five. Your brother oh, that's added right. You and I have played game. more. That's right. Yeah. My brother and I have probably played 20 games of the snow. Oh, really? Yes. Like we, when I said I was obsessed, I was not even kidding. We just concluded a game today where we tied at 120 points each, and I broke the tie because I had Charles Fairchild Esquire having won the most recent courtship phase. You know. So the game that I smashed the two of you was that before or after these 20 games? Probably before. I mean. <laughs> okay. Good. We're better. I was going to be worried a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the, that explains why this game is going considerably different. You, you guys must be playing like multiple games per day or something. Yeah, it's yeah, we're out of control. One hundred percent, we're out of control. Um, the thing, is, the thing about that I've been so impressed with about the game is like uh, your turn is not particularly hard, right? Like it's like pick a room in your estate and execute its action, right? And then after that, you may buy additional improvements to your estate right if you have not screwed up and actually have available funds yeah but i my turns always take longer than they should because i'm always like well that doesn't work because i don't have that or that doesn't mm-hmm. work because <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I feel and that. i'm like man i completely failed in previous turns to prepare myself for this turn so and, yeah you know the the greatest in my opinion the greatest uh turn of the game nine times out of ten is the national holiday turn which is when reputation doesn't matter and so if you have bought yourself a room that is way beyond your means that is your one moment to use it and i just feel like you can make or break your games right there and in our current game i have a lady who is who requires reputation six which i will not get to this game um I may never get to in any game, uh, but I definitely played her on the national holiday. <laughs> uh, so I don't know why this one. I, I anyway, it's just it's like really well done. Like this is this is going to be the next game, Jay, where I will ask you, Jay, can you physically get this? Maybe you, already, <laughs> you don't have it on the shelf, right? No. Like this already happened with Board Game Arena, where. We played enough of anachrony that I was like, Jay, will you please order everything? And now I have everything physically, and maybe once in my lifetime we'll actually play it physically. That's my guess. Once in my lifetime. <laughs> I love your optimism. <laughs> anyway, I would totally do that with Obsession at this point also. Um, I, I think it would help me to play it in real life, because right now um, having it resolve automatically the days mm-hmm. is is keeping me from understanding what they actually do and how they affect my gameplay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that this is one that I can't pick up so far. Yeah, I guess it's not surprising. It was got an award in 2018, so five years ago. It oh, so is... it's that old? Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. It's a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. In in board game five years, years in board game years is is like fifty yeah. yeah yeah fair well if you uh, you know if you're thrifting or uh, if you uh, are in a museum of board games from last decade you should absolutely check out uh, obsession like the because the other thing it does really well I think is like the art style is very fun like you know it's it looks like the portraits of people from the Victorian era. Like, I mean, it, you know, I just, 
all of that comes together in a really sweet package. Well, let's let's wrap up there. Uh, you guys should let us know what you think of uh, Hoppenheimer, Hoppenheimer and Obsession. Obsession, Dave the Diver, Dave the Diver, whatever. Yeah, the potpourri from Janet. And stay tuned till next week.